0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. 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 I would like you to open your Bibles to the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Our lesson text for this morning is going to be a consideration of verses 1 through 13. Now, I'm not going to read all those right now because I want to read them as we go through the lesson today. I consider this section of Scripture to be very important, even a crucial section from the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I would like to begin by affirming that tradition is not an ugly word, and that is the title I have given this lesson, Tradition. Customs and traditions from a religious perspective can indeed be helpful and useful but tradition must always be tested by the word of God. If the tradition is found to be in violation of God's word, then it must be put aside. There's an interesting phenomenon that occurs in the religious world today. The word of God seems to be tested by tradition, just the opposite of what should happen. It then becomes our task to ask ourselves, What is tradition and what is biblical? What must be retained and what must be cast aside? In the text before us this morning is an incident, a situation, which brings tradition versus the word of God into view. One of the interesting things about this particular text, this incident, is that it is an encounter between the Pharisees and scribes, who were not focused on the Word of God, but instead on the tradition of the elders, and Jesus. What we have before us then is the scribes and Pharisees coming to Jesus to make a complaint. So let's start with their complaint. The first thing we learn in verse 1 is that these scribes and Pharisees are from Jerusalem. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. If we were to look at another place in Mark's gospel, we would find this language. I'm thinking of chapter 3, verse 22 here. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of demons he casts out demons. The accusation that is brought to Jesus on that occasion is from scribes that have come from Jerusalem. Same places in Mark chapter 7. This leads me to conclude that apparently the opposition has become centered in Jerusalem. The next thing we learn about them is from verse 2. Let me read that. Mark 7, verse 2. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. The second thing I want us to observe is that these are fault finders. You know, folks, it's one thing that's so easy for us to do, become fault finders. So easy to find fault with others, that is. It is a negative and sometimes hurtful disposition. This is one of the unpleasant aspects described about these particular people. They are fault finders. The issue here, by the way, is not a matter of personal hygiene. They were not concerned about the issue of germs on the hands. What they were concerned with was ritual and ceremony. In the rabbinic tradition, there were rules given about the washing of hands, and these had nothing whatsoever to do, like I said, with personal hygiene. Remember, these are not regulations set down by the law of Moses. Keep that in mind. We are not talking about God's revealed word here. We're talking about rabbinic tradition. In verses 3 and 4, Mark gives his readers an explanation. So we're in chapter 7, verse 3. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Some have said that Mark was writing with Roman readers in mind, and if that is the case, it's possibly the reason why he stops here and explains what's going on. Mark tends to be very brief in his description of things. So this almost seems a little out of place, giving this much detail. Why are these people complaining that the disciples are eating with unwashed hands? He goes on and explains. It was a holding to the tradition of the elders. The belief was that things bought or touched in the markets might have come in contact with unclean people and therefore had to be considered unclean. You might be familiar with that concept. There may have been uh, something that was touched by a person that was unclean, uh, Gentiles, for example. A Gentile may have picked up these items and laid them back down, making them unclean. The belief involved them not knowing what was clean and what was unclean, ceremonially speaking. The idea they developed was when you got through at the market, you went home and you went through these ritual washings. Not to take care of germs, although, of course, that would be a good reason. But so that you and the items are ceremonially clean. To remove ceremonial defilement because some Gentile may have touched it. The Pharisees and scribes arrive, and they make their complaint to Jesus, criticizing and finding fault. Interestingly, they're not directly finding fault with Jesus on this occasion. The fault they find is with his disciples. Yet, we can understand that this is just an oblique way of criticizing Jesus. Your disciples, look, they're not observing the tradition of the elders, what's the matter with your teaching? Of course, that's the implication. You will notice that there is not a single suggestion that there is a violation of the word of God. Their complaint had nothing to do with a violation of the law of Moses, not a thing, but it had everything to do with the tradition of the elders. These oral traditions that have been passed down for centuries and make up what is now considered to be the Talmud, filled with opinions and traditions of rabbis of hundreds of years past. What happens when these, with these traditions is that they come alongside the word of God and they take more weight. They leave the word of God in favor of tradition. So how does Jesus respond to this? Now first, Jesus quotes from Isaiah. Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, verse 6, he answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now that first part is from Isaiah 29 at verse 13. And let's look at that. You can keep your finger in Mark chapter 7. We certainly will be coming back to it. But let's look at Isaiah 29 and 13. Isaiah said, Therefore, the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. What's the situation? What is the problem that Isaiah is addressing? I want to note a couple of things here. Isaiah is addressing people who ostensibly are religious people. He is also addressing people whose religion consists of ritual and precepts that are of human origin. He is not addressing people who are honoring God honestly with their hearts and their lives. They are honoring God with their lips, but their hearts are far from God, and their hearts are given to this man-made religion, for they are taught by the commandments of men. Where does that leave them? They are adherents to a spurious faith. Folks, listen. This is exactly the situation of the scribes and Pharisees in Jesus' day. They are religious. No one denies that but their religion consists of rituals and beliefs rooted in the traditions that have been passed down through generations, not rooted in the law of God. So here Jesus makes an application of the passage in Isaiah. Now read with me verse 7 in Mark 7. Jesus says, In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. These people had the same problem as the people in Isaiah's day. I wonder, does that still happen today? Jesus takes a passage from Isaiah and because of who Jesus is, he applies the passage to the situation that exists in his time. Jesus says that the religion that is being taught by the scribes and Pharisees is vain religion. It is empty. It is meaningless. When tradition is elevated to the position of law, when precepts of human origin become the basis for religion, that religion is vain. One can be honest and sincere in pursuit of religion and be as wrong as were the scribes and the Pharisees. Now let's look at verses 8 and 9. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold a tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. And he said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition." Look at the words, For laying aside the commandment of God, all too well you reject the commandment of God. Wait a minute. These are religious people scribes and Pharisees. They have made their religion their life's work. Yes, they are. Yes, they have, as do many, many people in the world today. They have a religious language, they look religious, they go through religious activities and rituals. Most of them would probably declare, we have not laid aside the commandments of God. Certainly the Pharisees and scribes would. The denial of laying aside the commandments of God, however, cannot change the facts. When we wander away from, when we alter, when we minimize in any way God's revealed word, we are laying it aside. In the religious activities in our world today, though people are religious and very sincere and faithful, they can be just as wrong as the scribes and pharisees. You can find in the literature of these religious groups all sorts of things written about regulation and traditions and practices and beliefs. And you might even find some scriptural references. But that does not make them right when they have abandoned the scripture in favor of other things. Next, Jesus carefully gives them a contemporary illustration of their error in Mark 7, verses 10 through 13. He starts out and reminds them what the law of Moses said. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say. If a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is, dedicated to the temple, and you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect, through your traditions, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. Jesus first cites the law of Moses in part, Exodus 20, verse 12, and Leviticus 20, verse 9. The very people to whom he quoted these things could well have said, should have said, amen. But you see, rabbinic tradition had given them a loophole in the law of Moses. Now, I need to say this. The loophole is not there as far as scripture is concerned. You can't find it there. But if you elevate tradition to the level of law, then you can use it for your loophole. And the loophole here is the word korban. The word means, generally speaking, a gift devoted to God, but still in one's possession, still under one's control and one's use until it is actually placed in the collection plate, so to speak, Further, I can say it is given, it is Corbin, a gift to God, and I can keep it and use it until I do that, or until I die. Here then is the situation. I have needy parents. They are not able to care for themselves, and they come to me and say, son, we need your help. We need you to pay our rent. And I reply, oh, well, the money I would have used to pay your rent? i have called corbin i have devoted it to god you see and because i have devoted it to god i can't give it to you this is what they were doing to be free of parental obligations i'm remembering first timothy chapter 5 verse 8 but if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That is the law of God. Look, though, at this tradition of the rabbis, this well-known practice among those religious Jewish leaders. It was how they got around keeping the law of God. By our traditions, because our traditions are law, they might have said. Their traditions have made the word of God of none effect. Jesus made it clear that this tradition violated God's Word, and declares that this tradition has was only one of many such things. Clearly, there is a warning here for all time, and I believe it is a crucial lesson for our time and place. We have in our community and in our country numerous religious groups of people whom I believe are very sincere. They are governed in their religion by documents of human origin, which teach and illustrate both beliefs and practices which are not authorized in God's word. Yet the words in these documents are sincere. In many church buildings, we see many beautiful things, wonderful artwork, objects so majestic and awe-inspiring. We see people going into those buildings, sitting with heads bowed and praying, and we realize these are sincere people. These folks have given much of their lives and dedicated their time and a portion of their wealth, whether it be great or small. I would never question their sincerity for a moment. But you see, sincerity is not enough before God. When our traditions... Have, set, have caused us to set aside the word of God, our religion, no matter how sincere, becomes vain. It becomes empty. Such religion is vain because it rests on the traditions and commandments of men and not God's word. Well, that said, my real concern today is not with those folks, but with you and me that we, you and I, always honor the word of God carefully, obeying it in love and with all joy, because it is the word of God, the word of our Father. What did these religious leaders expect? Let me ask you this question. How did the religious leaders expect the disciples to know to wash their hands? Because that washing was what was taught. What is the biblical word that describes teaching or what was taught? Doctrine. The Jewish doctrine or what was taught included their traditions. How do we teach? Well, we teach by holding classes, by preaching, by writing articles and tracts, and by our actions, the things that we do. Well, let me illustrate that last to you a little bit. How do very young children learn? One way is by observation, isn't it? The way we behave in front of those youngsters teaches them things. It shows them our doctrine. I'm quite certain that by using the term doctrine, I have made somebody a bit uncomfortable. The word doctrine has become an unpleasant word even among Christians. Today, the word is defined as a specific or particular principle or policy purported or advocated by a particular government or religion. In the times of the New Testament, the word had a much more generic sense and its meaning was simple to understand. It is instruction, teaching, or that which we teach. We teach all the time by words and by actions. So another question, what do we teach? We teach all the time by words and actions, but what do we teach? The religious leaders included in their teaching things that had been developed as tradition. These things came from the mind of man and not from God. Their error was that they taught the commandments of men. Does that mean tradition is bad or wrong? Not at all, as long as it is not in conflict with the Word of God. Well, let me give you an example. We have for many years, when conducting communion, had some of the men pass the bread and the fruit of the vine to the congregation in serving plates. That was our tradition, and it is the same in many congregations. Well, along came COVID and we desired to limit contact between the members to decrease the likelihood of disease spread. We switched to pre bread and grape juice, which people individually picked up before service. Did that new tradition conflict with the word of God? No, we still provide the emblems for each person person who wishes to partake. Scripture does not specify how they are provided, only that we are to partake. We made the necessary change in how we do things as an expediency to be able to continue to do what Scripture tells us. What now if there were supply issues and grape juice had become impossible to find around here? and we decided to provide apple juice as an alternative. Would that violate the Word of God? Yes, because the Bible specifically says to use the fruit of the vine. traditions are quite useful. They help us remember what needs to be done. They also provide a framework to help us do things decently and in order. I'm concerned, and we all should be, that we do not do anything to establish traditions which we then elevate to the position of law. That we would not do anything and, by doing it, violate the Word of God. Do we think, do I think, that we have done that in this congregation? Generally speaking, I don't believe we have. Yet on the other hand, if you were to talk to people individually and listen to the expressions of their deep-seated opinions, you might wonder. To these things Jesus has said in Mark, you might say, you know, that's great. Wonderful history lesson, Jewish history. I'm glad we talked about it this morning. What's next? But folks, listen, what Jesus said here has great application in our present time and place. For what we see even within the Lord's church is a gradual abandoning of the clearly defined word of God in favor of feelings and opinions. No matter how well-meaning or how well-sounding those feelings and opinions may be, if they are contrary to God's word, they will result in a religion that is vain. In congregations of the churches of Christ, we are to teach the Bible and not a Church of Christ doctrine. Yet things creep in, and we need to be on guard, study the Word, and be prepared, perhaps even against resistance and hard feelings, to root out error. Any teaching which is more important than the unity of the body and promotes division is nothing less than a doctrine of men rather than the gospel. It is a tradition of men that is loved and preferred more than a loving relationship with one another. Too often what we have done is become comfortable with our own doctrine rather than, thus saith the Lord. I suggest this is one critically important lesson of Jesus for our time and place. The drift away from Scripture authorizes in favor of feelings and opinions, no matter how well-meaning is a very present reality. What we find written in the revealed Word may not be what we find practiced out in the religious world. What we find written in the Bible is the Word of God and we must never be found laying it aside in favor of some tradition. We are told in the New Testament how to be saved. We need to hear the word, believe in Jesus, repent of our sins. We must confess our belief that Jesus is the Son of God and be baptized for the remission of our sins. If we follow those steps, the Lord, adds us to his church. Perhaps there's someone in the assembly today that needs to be buried with Christ in baptism. If you have this faith, we urge you to step out, to come forward and be baptized. If anyone has that need or desires the prayers of faithful Christians on their behalf, we encourage them to come forward while we stand and sing.